Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of them, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is a living word of God for us today. Amen. And uh, thank you, Joe and Leanne and Chorus there at the end. This is the living word of God for us today. On a Sunday, it was Sunday, July, uh, January 28th, 2016. Uh, we'd had church that morning and I was, I was in my office here and I was, uh, I, I was clearing my desk. I was uh, cl- clearing out emails because I uh, had a trip. I was going on a golfing trip for a week that next day, Monday morning, about four in the afternoon. I received a phone call uh, on my cell phone, didn't know who it was, and, um, but it was, a, it was a Knoxville number, so I picked it up and answered it. Um, it was the UT Medical Center emergency room, and, and uh, the first thing that this staff person asked me was, do you have a son named Darden Shadrach? And she told me he was in a motorcycle accident and that he was conscious, and, but he needed surgery, couldn't tell me much else. I just remember the last question she asked me, she said, um, how soon can you get to the hospital? And I share that to say in that moment, my life was cleared of anything that didn't really matter. On the flip side of that, um, what mattered most to me, to Lisa, to Susan and to Sally, to us as a family, it got really, really clear. And I wanna suggest that it's the nature of crises. That yes, they bring chaos, but they also bring an unusual amount of clarity. And that's true, you all, of this global pandemic that we are in. Um, Rob mentioned last week, you know, Google searches on fear and hope and the meaning of life and these questions is just skyrocketing. Why? Because people are asking the question, what matters most? And, and I really believe this. They're asking it with an urgency and, and, and a sobriety, honestly, that we've not, I've, I've not seen in my lifetime, per se, and I don't know that we'll ever see it again in our lifetime. 
which is why we are in this series that Rob kicked off last week called Made for This. As Christ followers, we have the answer to people's questions. And therefore, we were made for this in this moment. You recall Rob took us back to Matthew 22 where we found a lawyer who, who asked that very question, what matters most? Now he didn't say it like that, but, but it, it was the same question phrased a little differently. He said, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus didn't hesitate, you know, and there's 613 of these, if not more. And Jesus, you know, boiled them down into a moment, in a moment, and he brought them down to one. There's one, here's the greatest commandment. Love God and love your neighbor. And, and you know, you hear that and you go, oh, wait, that's two commandments. No, it's one commandment. Why? Because to, to love God is to love your neighbor, inseparable. To love your neighbor is to love God. They are inseparable. And in that way, they're one. This is what matters most in life. Um, at fellowship, we say it like this. It's our mission. Why do we exist? To help people find wholehearted life in Jesus. It's why we asked you to download the screensaver, which by the way, I just love looking at mine all the time. You'll see it now on the screen. But you notice this screensaver, it's a neighborhood. And we're made for this. Well, what are we made for? We're made, God has placed us in our unique neighborhoods, our places, it could be where we live, work and play, such that we're there that we would help those around us, anyone who, we, who God puts in our path, we'd help them find wholehearted life in Jesus. Now, if you wanna download it still, the link is there, please download it and keep it with you. Um, Rob and I wrestled with how do we make this practical? How do, we, how do we help us as a community of faith not miss the opportunity that God has given the world, quite frankly, but the church specifically, in his providence to answer this question and these questions people ask. How do we get concrete on that for, for us as a church? And here's where Rob and I landed. We believe the most effective thing that we can do in this season to help people find wholehearted life in Jesus is to pray with your neighbor. That's it, one thing. Pray with your neighbor. Now, there's more to be done. Yes, there'll always be more there's never less than pray with your neighbor. And we believe this, if we're praying with our neighbor, then all the other stuff will follow. And the last week, Rob ended on the very, you know, we always talk about it. It's not about what we know or the information. It's about what we do with what we know, the application. And the application last week was to become aware of our, of our neighbors. And Rob said, you know, write some names down, begin to note who God puts in your life. Let me tell you what I'm gonna do today. I'm gonna teach you a very simple tool. It's gonna to move right to the, we're gonna to move to application here at, at the end of course. It, and this tool is gonna to enable you to pray with your neighbors in a way that addresses the deepest questions. We'd say it this way, the deepest needs of their heart. So with that, if you have your Bible, please open it. Go to Luke, the passage that, uh, Joe and Leanne and family just read earlier, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And when they read it, you know, I, I, hope you, <laughs> I hope you were going, wait a minute, we read that last week. That's the Matthew story. Well, I'm glad you thought that. You know what? It sounds a lot like the Matthew story 
But it's not the Matthew story. Similar, yes, but not the same. There's some unique, there's some specific differences between the stories, but there's two facts I think you can, we can pull out of just that. It tells us that Jesus was often asked massive questions. Jesus was often asked the big existential questions of life. And so we see it over and over in the gospel accounts. But there's a second thing it tells us, and it's this, when he's asked the biggest questions in life, he always has the same answer. Look at verses 25 through 28. Behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You know that a big question? He said, Jesus, what, what do I do to go to heaven? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And here we find the familiar phrase. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. I I find it fascinating that when, you know, when he's asked, how do I go to heaven? You know, all of us would kind of be like, Jesus, tell him. Jesus doesn't answer the question. Jesus asks a question. It's estimated that Jesus asked over 300 different questions throughout the four gospel accounts. He's asked a lot of, he asks a lot of questions. Now, coming toward him, Jesus was asked, we, we think right at 100, about 183, so 180 plus questions. Jesus was asked 180 plus questions. Jesus only answered less than 10 directly. He, he didn't answer people's questions directly, less than 10 in the gospel accounts. It seems that Jesus, you know, think about this. He was not as concerned as giving the right answer as he was asking the right questions. And this is important because when I get to this tool and I talk about how do we pray with our neighbors, I'm gonna follow Jesus's lead as he describes, as the story's described here. Now, the repetition in verse 27. You know, that's not meant to, 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 to break up the, the human body or personality into these distinct parts as much as you'll note the repeated word is all, all all, all, four times, all. And and the idea there is that when it comes to loving God, it's with all. When it comes to loving neighbor, it's with all. It's with our whole heart. And when we talk about the heart, we're talking about the control center of life. Now, uh, thank goodness for Carrie and Emily. And who else is teaching kids quadrants? So, you know, four parts of the heart. This is awesome. Um, but when we think of the heart, we've, we've taught this and we'll teach this, that, that we understand and the Bible's clear on this when we examine it, that the heart, it's, it's these four areas, quadrants, if you will, thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices. I want you to note, uh, just follow along on this quote. This is out of uh, Erdman's Dictionary of Theology. When you speak of the heart, notice they, they write, the ancients, did not use detailed psychological vocabulary to make the fine distinctions used in modern speech. The Hebrews thought of the whole human being 
and personality with all its physical, intellectual, and psychological attributes. When they used heart, it was considered the governing center for all of these. It is the heart, the core, which makes and identifies the person. And please note, the heart is designed to function as a unit. You don't function out of parts of your heart. We function with our hearts intact, united, all parts functioning together. And y'all, that's what we mean when we say whole-hearted. Now, one of the big differences between the Matthew story and this one, note this guy's got another question. And he asks it in verse 29. He says, well, who's my neighbor? And again, don't miss this. Jesus doesn't answer him. He doesn't say, well, this is your name. No, he doesn't answer him. In fact, Jesus tells a story and the story is actually a setup for guess what? A question. The last question that he, he asks him. Uh, you know the story. I'm not gonna go all the way through that. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. So, so the story that Jesus tells is the story of a man who goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a drop in elevation. He goes down to Jericho. It's a dangerous road. Uh, this man is going along the road. He's attacked, he's beaten, he's robbed, and he's left for dead. And Jesus then describes two religious leaders that come. The first religious leader comes, sees the dead man, and avoids him and goes around him. The second religious leader sees the man that you know, looks dead and goes around him to avoid him. And then the third man is a Samaritan. And it's the Samaritan who sees the man, goes to the man, meets the man's needs. For the, the Jewish thought, Jewish mind, note that when, when they read this, it would be the two you would think who are gonna help the human being, the religious leaders, don't. And then the one who the Jews despise, Samaritans, he helps. There's loads of lessons, you know, we could draw out of this story. I'm gonna focus this though at the end of the story on the one lesson Jesus is, Jesus is intent upon this man and us grasping. Look at verses 36 and 37. He makes his point not by telling him, right? But by asking him a question. Verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The man said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Jesus is saying, Nothing less than this, if I may simplify this. Loving God and loving others is about being a neighbor. It's not about who is. Loving God and loving others is about being a neighbor. And what Rob and I are, are, are trying to, to communicate and invite you to consider as a community of faith it there's, is that for us, there's nothing uh, more spiritually important that we can do to be a neighbor in these days than praying with our neighbors in such a way that even in the praying, we're pointing them 
to wholehearted life in Jesus. So, so with that, I'm gonna get very, very practical. I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk us through a tool. I wanna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna this, this so reminds me, like we're in a classroom, I'm trying to equip us. It reminds me of when we planted the church and we spent months equipping ourselves to, to engage. This is what we're doing. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna ground it in biblical, the biblical theology of the heart and y'all, I'm gonna root it in the model of Jesus because even in this story, we note that Jesus loved his neighbor, okay? He loved his neighbor, the man, not by telling him or answering his questions per se, but by actually asking him some questions that engage the heart. With that, You've seen this before. You'll certainly see it again. There's a reason why we, the quadrants are arranged in this way. Thoughts, emotions, desires, then choices. Notice it begins with thoughts, number one. It goes to emotions, number two. It goes to desires, number three. And then it circles up to the last point. The last quadrant is our choices. When we go from our thoughts to our emotions, to our desires and our choices, this is the way God is so wired in our, 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 our hearts. We call it the transformational pathway. Well, why do you call it transformational pathway? Because this is the means by which God takes, you know, the, the spirit of God takes the very word of God and unites our hearts to fear his name, as David said. Well, what does this have to do with, with prayer? Well, I wanna, I'm gonna walk you through what it has to do with prayer. And rather than try and tell you, I'm, I'm gonna engage with you. And so I, I want you to know, I need your participation. I, I need, when I ask you a question, I, I wanna invite you, please respond and type in a text. Um, don't, don't hesitate. I ask, start typing in and give me your response as if we're having a conversation. Keep it short, but respond when I ask. So here's the context. I want you to put yourself where you are and, and where we are is we're in the midst of a global pandemic and you actually watch the news at night and Oh my gosh, you, we see what's going on and the, the bad news, good news, et cetera. We, we, we live in a, an environment right now where people are losing their jobs, people are losing their lives, where calendars are being scratched, there's tremendous uncertainty. So, so put ourselves in, this, in these moments and in these moments, I want to ask you four questions. Here's the first question. What are you thinking? That's it, just respond, type it in. There's no right or wrong, it's your thoughts. <laughs> it's your mind at work. What are, you, what are the thoughts that just keep rumbling around in you? Uh, they just, you know, you can't keep them out and they keep coming and they're colliding but you're thinking these thoughts. You know, biblically, um, all parts of the heart are equal, I've, I've said that. But I want you to know the mind is the first among these equals. Well, what do you mean it's first among these equals? Well, Paul writes, Romans 12, 2, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, Y'all, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. I'm, and it's why we do what we do. We teach the Bible. We teach and explain doctrine and theology. We, we help each other understand the truths of God's Word, because it's with the mind that transformation begins. What? It's the first question we would ask in the conversation. What are you thinking? What are your thoughts? 
There's no, you don't judge them. You just, we just want to hear them. There's a second question. What are you feeling? This is one that, you know, you get resistance on. You bump up against, but we are made in God's image. God feels and expresses emotion. Jesus feels and expresses emotion. The Holy Spirit feels and expresses emotion. Our, our emotions are God's gift designed to tell us not just what's going on in us, you all, but wh- why and what's going on around us. The heart's the well of our emotions. If, if we're gonna experience transformation, change from the inside, if we bypass the emotions, we're not experiencing wholehearted transformation. And so we feel our emotions. And so I love what Carrie and Emily did a moment ago. You know, what are you feeling? Be able to name those sad? Are you glad? Are you afraid? Depressed? Lonely? Angry? And the feelings signal to us something. You know, if you're angry, let me tell you why you're angry. Because something is wrong. Because there's injustice that needs to be addressed. And you feel anger. You feel sad. Why do we feel sad? Because something we love is lost and God gives us that sadness to note that and feel that. It's the second question. What are you feeling? We continue the transformational pathway with the third question. What are you hoping for? This is that desire quadrant, that desire area. Right, in the chat, right now, right in the chat box, what are some of your desires? It's different from feelings because desires are those, it's, it's that God-given. This is not, you know, desires are not a consequence of the fall. Desires are God-given. As image bearers, we long, we, we hope for. And, and, and what our desires are within our hearts, it's like the desires are the magnet that always draw us to what we were made for. And I'll tell you biblically, what are we made for? We're made for what's infinite. We're made for what's holy, what's true, faithful, right, and glorious. Now, problem, oftentimes the desires of our heart go to, you know, false, you know, false satisfactions, but the desires are not sinful. The longings are not sinful. We long for this COVID-19 to go away. It's not sinful. It's a longing of our heart that we were made for. When you ponder what, what you're hoping for in your heart, what are you hoping for in these days of COVID-19? Well, we've asked three questions that have engaged the quadrants of the heart. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you hoping for? And then we go to that last quadrant. And it's, the, it, it's the area of our heart that, from which we choose choices. See, it's with the heart that we choose, our volition, our will. And the question we ask here is, can I pray with you right now? Here's what I know. When I, when I say that, like pray with a neighbor and say, can I pray with you right now? Everyone's knees are shaking, including mine. Because, because choices in the life of faith are acts of faith. It's trusting the Holy Spirit in us will give us the words to pray. It's stepping into, yes, what's uncomfortable. But God invites us to trust him in. Jesus makes clear in his story, you all, being a neighbor is about what we do. Not just what we talk about. 
Being a neighbor is an action per se. Jesus, what did Jesus tell the lawyer in the story? He said, do this. How does the story end? <laughs> it ends with a call to action. You go and do likewise. Neighboring, if I may say it this way, neighboring is about doing. Now, with that, I'm gonna walk back through if I can. I know this is kind of different, but this is how you would have a conversation, even as I'm having a conversation with you. And I know there's a couple thousand people, but there's, there's one camera and, and I'm speaking to you. And I would ask you and I would say, what are you thinking in, this, in these days? What, what, what are you thinking? What are some of your thoughts? And some of you are writing, you know, what's our new normal? You're wondering about that. What, what, what's God's, pur- you know, I've got these, what's God's purpose in this? Are we strong enough to make it through this? And, and all the questions you see, those are thoughts that, they're not right and wrong, they're the thoughts that are in our mind. And we need to engage them. And I would say, what are you thinking? I'd go, well, can you tell me what, what are you feeling? What's, what's going on in, you know, it's like in your body. What are, you, what are the emotions that are stirring in you as you stand in this place? And some of you have noted, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling anxious. I'm scared. Now, let me say to you, and you know, one of you said, I'm scared, I lost my job on Friday. Well, of course you're scared. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not wrong. It's, there's, there's uncertainty. And do you know what uncertainty produces in Christians too? Fear. And we don't have to act on the fear, but I'm telling you, we, we gotta know I'm fearful right now. I'm anxious. Someone said to me, they're sad. I'd say, tell me more about that sad. And in all likelihood, there's loss because that's what sadness signals. So what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Then I'd say, well, you know, what are you hoping for? What's the deep longings in the midst of this? Someone said, I'm hoping for revival. I desire for God's purpose to be fulfilled in all of this. Hope the world will be more neighborly after all of this. See, our hopes, if I summarize those, it would be, I'm, I'm hoping that God is glorified in this. And that's our deepest hope and longing. And when we're operating out of our deepest hope and longing, biblically, you see, then we make choices that reflect all that. Does this make sense? So we walk through this transformational process. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are you hoping? And then this choice question, can I pray with you right now? And I am literally asking that question of you. And Father, I do join my church family. And I pray with them. as confusing thoughts rumble through our hearts. And we wonder, when's it gonna be over? When is it gonna be normal again? How is, how is your purpose, Lord, gonna be fulfilled in all of this?
We bring those thoughts to you. And Lord, I too feel fear and anxiety. There's tremendous sadness at the loss of life, at economic hardship. Lord, at the disappointment of the things wiped off the calendar that were so looked forward to. Our hope is that you would be glorified in all of it. Lord, we do long. We long to see that day when on the other side of this, we see the good that you've produced and shaped in us and through us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. That's it. Well, how do I pray with my neighbor? Well, I wanna invite you to use this tool, transformational pathway to have a wholehearted conversation and a wholehearted prayer that points to our deepest longing and desire, which is ultimately wholehearted life in Jesus. You know, what would it look like? You know, there's a couple thousand people online right now. What would it look like if we, where we live, work, and play, prayed with our neighbors? I'm telling you, it would look like people who are loving God and loving others. It would look like people who are living for what matters most. And it would look like a bunch of Samaritans running toward those in need and giving the, the, the most important treasure we have, Christ, to whoever God puts in our path. According to the Bible, let me tell you what it would look like. It would look like God's people being who they were made to be and doing what they were made to to do. I'm gonna invite the worship team to join me. We'll, we'll sing a song as we conclude in a few minutes, but you know, there's probably no more tangible expression of the wholehearted love of Christ, is there, than the Lord's table? And so I wanna invite you to take your elements that you gathered for the Lord's table. Take the bread and the cup. Um, I'm gonna pray for us in a moment. I want you to reflect on this ordinance that the Lord gave and invites us to celebrate and participate in on a regular basis that he gave his body for us. What part? All of it. Sacrificing himself. Living the life we couldn't, dying the death we deserve. Lord Jesus, for your body broken for us. We give thanks and we remember your life on our behalf. Take and eat the bread. If you'll take the juice that you've gathered Jesus said this cup is his blood. The Bible says the life is in the blood. Jesus gave his life. So that was the 
payment. That's the penalty for sin, separation from the Father. And he endured that for us so we wouldn't have to. How much blood did he give? He gave it all. Lord Jesus, for your life fully given for us, we say thank you. We look backward and we remember, Lord, you lived the life we couldn't. You died the death we deserved. You were buried and rose again. And as we take this cup, we also remember forward and remind ourselves you are coming again one day to set all things right. And every hope and longing and desire will be fully and finally fulfilled to your glory. For your blood poured out, Lord Jesus, we give thanks, take and drink. You know, wherever you're at right now, may I ask you to stand? We're, we're gonna end in a few moments, but let's stand as we sing and respond. Um, I, I wanna show you a, a picture that uh, prepares us for this response song. Brian and Leanne Buck's son, uh, Warren, sent this to Rob earlier in the week and Rob sent it to me and I thought, gosh, that is so appropriate for where we are as a church. I want you to look at this note that he's got here now. Leanne sent this and she said this, I wanted to share how Warren has been living out what you shared on Sunday. He's been dropping this off at houses on our street, ringing the bell and then waiting on the sidewalk to pray with our neighbors. I think people have felt loved and cared for through his simple childlike act. <laughs> See, we get scared about praying with neighbors, but maybe we follow We follow Warren's example. If you see that on the, the writing, I don't know if you make, make sure you can read it, but he says, hi, do you have any prayer requests? Love Warren. <laughs> and the bottom says, Warren loves you. So he wants to pray. That sounds like the great commandment to me. And is not prayer running to the Father? with our whole heart. Let's express that in song.